Welcome to Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, with Brian Sexton, John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, and J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, starts right now. Welcome in Jaguars Reporters Podcast. Ashlyn Sullivan, John Osher, J.P. Shadrick here with you this week. Brian Sexton enjoying some vacation time, so we will get through it, just the three of us as it is the last week of voluntary OTAs this week as we get ready for a three-day mandatory mini camp next week. And JP, it kind of is like we started and we didn't have a lot to talk about and we were figuring it out. And then all of a sudden it just exploded and now there's so much going on this week. Yeah, a lot of football, a lot of practices this week. I think this is the week with the most OTAs of all three of the weeks. So We'll be out there on Tuesday to get a good look at what's going on. And then, of course, last week, everything off the field as well. The development jumped in there. We'll get into that a little bit later. But in football world, there is a lot going on, a lot of new faces. Uh, We're getting to to know some of these new players now over the weeks. And uh, we're looking forward, I'm looking forward to next week, to, to be out there three straight days. Yes, and that's what's been kind of difficult, John, is when, when we write and we talk about on the shows, we, we only see one practice a week. And that's what's going to lead us to our first thought about Trevor Lawrence's had a rocky practice and then had a great practice last week. It's, it's hard to find that middle ground. Yeah, from uh, reading Twitter, they are now carving the bust <laughs> for Trevor, which <laughs> which is great. Maybe you should. And uh, the week before, I think they were ready to, to cut him from the team and jump off bridges. So <laughs> that's where we're at. Um, you know, We'll get into Trevor in a minute, but I thought a lot of things he did last week, it made sense that he was good with those things. It was his strengths. This is a big week. I, like JP, am looking forward more to next week because I feel like with three days at that point, with having six in the bank, we'll be able to at least give some idea of a big picture of what we're seeing. I don't know realistically if even this week we'll be able to do that, but mm-hmm. we will try. We will do our best. The problem is, you know, we're out there one day a week. Well, I'm sure Trevor's looked pretty good other days of the week, you know, and, and Urban even said that. The, the, the day you're referencing, John, right. where he didn't look so good in the red zone. Well, he was pretty good the day before, according right. to Urban. So, mm-hmm. you know, it comes and goes, and that's, that's where the three straight days will help our mm-hmm. view of it, and that's where the overreaction part comes from because you're not right. seeing the total picture at all. Absolutely. That leads us into Jaguars this week. And the first point I want to make is Trevor Lawrence looked great last week in the practice that we watched. At one stretch, he was 11 for 13 and very accurate, especially with the deep ball. James O'Shaughnessy also had a great day that practice we watched. And Tim Tebow, we'll just put it in there, caught every pass that was thrown his way and Looks like he's holding his own, so, so take are you that. keeping stats out there? I am, yeah. Wow. I have my little notepad. I write them down. How about that? I'm not out there just watching butterflies. I'm doing something. <laughs> I'm watching there. the butterflies. I know you are. I see you out there. <laughs> I can't grab onto that, but what I can I can grab onto, he looked very good. He looked very comfortable. And of course, he's going to look comfortable in the pocket. There's nobody rushing him. But he made throws downfield uh, with accuracy that I think were at least – somewhat indicative of how they might look in a game. Uh, that's what you're looking for is is uh, the decision-making, the accuracy, the deep ball accuracy. He threw a really nice ball to O'Shaughnessy that you know the defender tried to go after, didn't get it, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a touchdown. Um, impressive. My guess is if we're looking at, what, 13 of these over the – He's probably had three or four days like the one we saw where he's struggling. He's probably had eight or nine like last 
what was it, Thursday, that he's looked good. Mm-hmm. That's what you're supposed to – this time, and this is what always frustrates me about fans who overreact to youth in training camp. You don't want 13 great days out of the quarterback because if, you, if you're getting 13 straight days out of the quarterback, nothing's being challenged. There's no learning involved. These are the – Literally the first times that he has been on the field with these other people, the first time he's gone through the offense, when are you supposed to have your rough draft <laughs> and your mistakes and your learning if it's not right here? If he had been doing this for three or four weeks and had that bad day in the red zone, then he might work. It was probably his first red zone practice True. Or, or one of his first two. So you, were, you want some failure early so you have something to learn from. It's not going to be perfection. If there was no mistakes, then he's not learning anything. So I'm fine with how it's gone so far. Same. And it wasn't failure as in it was terrible balls thrown or he didn't know what he was doing. It was more so just the timing with the receivers was Mm -hmm. really off, which you're going to expect. It's not also all on him. It wasn't like he can't throw a football. And that's when you're reading Twitter, you kind of sense that at times. Well, and the great thing was that all the Twitter commentary – were bird's eye views. They had all seen it go down. Right, they were all there. <laughs> right. So Apparently. that was where I really got a lot of the insight. Uh, yeah. It's, um, he said sarcastic. This is the, yeah, as we always say, it's that overreaction time. But this is the time to go try different throws and try things. And to your point, Ashlyn, it's the, the guy had been with the veteran receivers for, what, four days at mm-hmm. that point? I right. Mean, they're not going to go be Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning. <laughs> Uh, Guess what? Out of nowhere. We're going to see some of this next season, too. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a, you know, he is very, very good and has a chance to be very, very good. But he's 22-year-old Trevor Lawrence. How old is he, son? 22? Is that right? that is correct. So he's not (laughs) 37-year-old Aaron Rodgers. right. So there are going to be some ups and downs. He's going to have a couple two-interception games next year. Mm -hmm. He's going to have – and – uh, more than that, you never know. Yeah, I, I always, obviously the social media thing is here to stay. I'm not going to get rid of social media, JP, as hard as I try. <laughs> but uh, in in '98, I can remember sitting on my couch in in San Marco long before I ever covered the Colts, and I watched Peyton Manning throw three interceptions against the Patriots on a Sunday night on an ESPN game. Looked awful. And uh, I think it was Mike Patrick doing uh, the games back oh, yeah. then. Very underrated Mike sure, Patrick. Sure. And at the end of the broadcast, everybody was saying, look, this kid's going to be fine. This was a couple, you know, this was a bad game. Can you imagine a three interception, a two return for touchdowns on Sunday night football right now out of the number one overall pick in the draft? It, it would be chaos. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens during rookie years. It's probably what will happen to Trevor. Just let him develop. Please, you know, Just let him be. It won't. I get that, that it's not the world we live in. But if anybody's listening to this, have a little perspective when you're hearing your friends say, oh, there's going to be some ups and downs in this, and that's okay. By the way, Mike Patrick, former uh, Channel 4 sports That's right. Yeah. And was the voice of the JU Dolphins for a number of years. One of the more underrated uh, play-by-play guys and, of all time. And the oh, Sharks play-by-play yeah. guy for the World Football League, too. Mike Why do you look at that? How about that? Nice it's tidbit, all coming together. JP. Very I went to a nice. Sharks game as a kid. That's very I have a nice, Sharks John. Pennant. 
I do too. Yeah. All right, moving on. Okay, Ashlyn. Jaguars this week. Ashlyn, the Jacksonville Sharks. I know what they are. That's enough. Big news. Late last week, as the Jaguars announced a multitude of downtown developments, including a new football facility that will be ready to rock in the summer of 2023. This will allow the stadium to be renovated and the team still to be here in Jacksonville, which is a huge note. We've heard hints and whispers and, uh, you know, Urban's talked about it a little bit and the players have dropped all the facility on us. Well, the other day was the first time we really got to see it publicly, and that is what makes it exciting. We've seen a lot of those type of events over the years here, though. Renderings and uh, the development of downtown and whatever it is. This one feels like it has some more legs, you know, that this one could could be the one that really maybe jump starts it yeah the stuff on the river the four seasons hotel is the start of it and then you've got the office building and then baptist health is involved with the orthopedic center and then you put the football facility on top of that that's a lot of uh, things around the development on the river to help boost it up i think it's not just the the jaguars and shad khan and you know last time it was the cordish companies but now there are some local stakeholders, the Jaguars football side of the organization and Baptist Health involved that I think will really help this thing move, John. Well, a couple of things. It feels organic, uh, first of all. like it, it feels like there are things that are needed that will be used that all make sense and all fit football. It, it fits the area. Uh, uh, the other thing to remember, I've – I've heard a lot of the same things that you just alluded to, JP. Of There's been a lot of renderings, a lot of them haven't come off. Well, there's been a lot of renderings, too, that have come off over yes. the last 10 years. Correct. You know, there's been a lot of those state-of-the-franchise things we sat in, and Ashad rolled out the uh, locker rooms. The locker rooms happened. They, I rolled out the video boards, rolled out Daly's Place. Um, I think there's been a perception, and I, and I get a lot of emails about that, too. Of, well, we always see this, and it doesn't come off. Well, that was Lot J. But really beyond that, they've been trying to give people the idea and, and the possibility of what can be downtown. Because if you don't do that, then most of the city sort of looks at it and says, well, we can't do anything. It's, it's looked like this for years. Unless you show people a possibility, then they're never going to dream it. They're mm-hmm. never going to see it. So that's uh, sort of a, you know. That was very nice of you to say. A Walter Mitty. You yeah. Know, but uh, – I do think because of the football facility, which feels like that's going to happen, yeah. um, everything last week, the whole vibe to me was significantly different than any other downtown vision rollout. Mm-hmm. And the reaction was different. Uh, Mark Lamping made a, a reference late in the presentation that a lot of these things had been seen by the city council people. It's been looked at, it, it has been viewed already. This was not, hey, let's maybe look at something that might work. I get the feeling a lot of people who matter in these decisions, city, team, have already looked at this, and it feels like it's something that has a good chance to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's exactly how they said it would play out. When Lot J didn't work out as planned, they said, all right, we're going to go back to the drawing board, and we're not going to give up. We're going to find another solution to this, which is exactly what happens. And then to the football side of this, and I know, Ashley, you'll discuss this a little more coming up, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it is – it was vital to have that for Urban Meyer and this football team to to really move forward and try to become one of the 
uh, upper-tier teams in the National Football League to have the space to do it. Just the space numbers alone really mm-hmm. blew my mind during that presentation the mm-hmm. other day. The average square footage of team facilities in the NFL compared to what the Jaguars had here night and day. So get to that level and have the best of the best and have room for the best of the best. Correct. For these players. Yeah, it's frankly, I mean, you walk around the stadium right now and there's just simply not enough room for everyone. We have outgrown the stadium. Coaches in closets. You got to put them somewhere. You got to get another building. And when people hear that, yeah, I've got a lot of emails from people saying, well, why wasn't something done before? Well, logistically, in 1995, when this facility that we're sitting in was developed, planned, this wasn't unusual. This was how it was, and this is where the facility was. So over time, other teams began to do things differently, and now this is the time where this franchise is going to catch up. I guess that's the right word. They're going to mm-hmm. catch up and be a modern facility. I think the thing that we haven't touched on that uh, JP uh, mentioned very early, it the significant thing here that I hadn't heard before was a definite they are going to renovate and not rebuild. Yes. Or it's not going to be a new stadium. It's going to be renovating this one. You had gotten that impression the last couple of years from talking to people that they thought that was going to be what was economically feasible. So that's interesting that this is the first step toward that. And sometime over the next 10 years, that's going to become the major storyline is how this stadium will look when it's renovated. Um Lot J, other stuff, has always felt like the precursor to that. Last Thursday, I think, was the first step to seeing their vision of what they want it to be. The football facility outside would be the first step, and then that would be significant because you've got to think that whatever designing they do off of that, the stadium is going to have a lot of that feel in terms mm-hmm. of the modern, in terms of you know the branding or whatever all that is. That would be the first step to something major in the stadium with shade. Yeah, yep. Shade for all seats. Got to have some shade. Priority number one. Yeah. That is that, nice. Just look at the Miami Dolphins and what they did. It's a great example of what could be. If you've seen that stadium before and after, it is night and day. All right. Last little tidbit. Signing Pharaoh Cooper last week, entering his sixth season. Had a few stops around the league, primarily known as a punt returner, so that's a little interesting. But an all-pro, Pro Bowl wide receiver adding to the list of a group that was already pretty deep, in my opinion. I was I was a little surprised. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, little known fact: uh, JP's middle name is Pharaoh. That's what the P stands for. Yeah, but, how about that? <laughs> but, um, and uh, uh, my middle initial is also P, and that stands for Pharaoh. So that's where we're going with that. What are you saying? I didn't. <laughs> so we're best buds, man. Like we're the same middle name. You just come up with things that are. This didn't excite me that much. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, he's not a burner. Yeah, know? I hope he works out. He had a huge run against the Jags in 17. That's sort of what I know about him. This felt more like, let's bring a guy in. Let's see if it works. Considering how deep they are, I was surprised with the move, and I would be a little surprised if it winds up being a thing we're talking about during the season because they're so deep at receiver and they have so many bodies. Uh but it's competition. Well, we were out of practice, what, not this past week, the week before Terry Godwin went down, mm-hmm. right? And he's on IR now, so it opened a receiver spot. Right. They needed a body, and, you know, there it's 5'11", 210, and that's Farrell Cooper, and 
I think he ran high four fives, four six at his pro day way a long time. He ago. sounds fast. That's a fast sounding name. <laughs> right. <But> it is. <laughs> if he can run those crisp routes and, and get open, then make plays after the fact, you know, we'll see. All right. Well, let's get into big things. JP Shraddick, you are up first. Okay. Um, Joe Cullen was mic'd up last week. We saw it on Jaguars.com, and it gave us a window inside the defensive mindset for him and for the culture they're trying to build, especially on that side of the football. We, we know Joe from the last mm-hmm. time he was here, John, and you, you know his personality and his attitude and the way he goes about it on the practice field and motivates players, and they love him for it. They loved him for it here. They certainly loved him in Baltimore, it felt like, when we were up there for training camp a few years ago. And uh, you can tell in the interaction that we saw in that video that they're st- really starting to like him here. And I think he's around the D-line a little more just because that's his nature. He goes back to that group. And he's the defensive coordinator now. But you know what? There's, um, that, that was fun. I, I could listen to him on a practice field with a microphone all day long. It is thoroughly entertaining, Ashlyn. It is. It's the biggest difference I think I noticed. It, and it's not just him. It, it's really the whole coaching staff. But when you watch, for example, the group stretch where everyone's in a line, and it's not specific to your position group. Like, for example, Joe Collin, you saw him with the wide receivers and the running backs, and you see the tight ends coach with a defensive line asking everyone how their day's going. It, it's very hands-on, and I think we've become accustomed to seeing it very clicky, for lack of a better word. And, and this seems very inclusive where – Every coach is involved in every step of the team. Uh, Joe's an intriguing guy because the way he coaches, I think, is the way you have to coach NFL players these days. And I think Urban, I would guess he gravitated to that. He knew, he knew Joe, and they've known each other for, I think, 20 years. And, it, and they, have a, they understand how each other coaches. Joe is a player's coach, but he is going to be – I would say hypercritical, but he's hard on players. Mm-hmm. He drives them, but he also is able to do it with this feeling of when he's yelling at me, he's yelling at me because he loves me. It's not an attack. Yeah, it, it, and it's it's because I see something in you that can make you great, and by me yelling at you, I'm going to earn you millions of dollars because you're going to be in the league a long time. You know, it's your best interest, mm-hmm. and you know that is a fine line because you know if you're yelling and it's not that then NFL players are like well you know or anybody would be and it turns them off but that's so if you talk to Joe JP which you did when he was here that's there in him you can't not like the guy you can't not feel like he is a he is a wonderful person so he's got that sort of core mm-hmm. and it enables him to go coach them hard and be as demanding as possible and drive them and they still accept it and they know they're all on the same page and I, I uh, I'm not surprised that he's working a little more with the defensive line because it's his background and it's where they have to improve the most quickly because if they're like they were in the past on the defensive line then that's enough then nothing else matters so it's going to be that part of the defense the front seven mm-hmm. I'm as interested to see what that looks like as anything I've ever covered here in 10 years because how they're going to use these guys, it's so hard to say, well, this guy plays this position, this guy plays this position X. 
all of the old terms we've used for years don't really fit. And even they, when they talk about it, well, he's going to do this in base, he's going to do this. So seeing how these guys are used is going to be fascinating during training camp. And it can change. It could change week to week. Yeah. And then once mm-hmm. games start, down to down, I mean, you could roll any kind of combination out there. And I'm particularly fascinated to see how they use Miles Jack because yes, it, everybody, yep. when this first happened, the instinct was to say, well, it's a it's a uh, three four defense, and Miles Jack is going to be an inside linebacker, and he's, he's going to be misused, and it's going to be just like 2017 18. My understanding is there is a dynamic role for Miles Jack in this defense, and it's not like he's going to be standing in the middle of the defense and just stuffing the run. They, it, he is going to have a major role because guess what? Joe Cullen likes to bring pressure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Miles Jack, when he was outside, could run around yep. and make plays. So yep. let's see what combination that makes, Ashley. Absolutely. All right, John, what is your big thing? My big thing is even though we've talked about it before, um, Urban Meyer's approach and his honesty when talking about players, which we saw, it's our. I'm. Did I'm you hear ahead this? A little bit, but he talked about DJ Chark in some very candid terms last week. He also talked about Miles Jack in some in, in some not quite as candid terms, uh, saying that Miles had come in a little overweight and gotten that out of the way quickly. And it's intriguing because it it's to sort of override what we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. DJ Chark, Urban basically said he wasn't very good last year. He had to get bigger and stronger. Well, when you say something like that, automatically it's, it's going to, oh, he's ripping them. Oh, he's, he, he's criticized. He's calling them out was one of the tweets I saw. Yep. Urban calls DJ Chark out. Well, in this day and age, in the Zoom call, everybody's going to be sitting on what the coach said. And anything that's remotely negative, oh, I'm surprised there wasn't. Oh, Urban doesn't like DJ Char. You know, but that's not the tone of how he said it. It's going to be interesting as time goes on to see how candid Urban remains on players like that. I thought I think the way he has done it so far has made a lot of sense because it's usually been after the fact. Meaning, hey, DJ Chark. I went to him in March, and now two months later, he has done what we asked him to do. So it's not really criticism. It's more telling the story. I don't think Urban's going to go down the road of calling somebody out when the problem or the story hasn't already been sort of walked forward a little bit. I just think he's trying to be honest and trying to tell the player's story. To me, that made DJ Chark look good because he responded to it. And you can tell in the Zoom call, he's a different-looking kid. The stories will come when there are successful stories right. like that. You know, if it doesn't end up in a positive way, right. you probably won't hear that backstory right. from Urban. I Meyer. didn't take that as calling DJ guys, Chark out. Yeah, he's no. not going to throw right. guys under the bus because he's here to protect his team and protect his players. Right. He's all about the players, right? He's not going to throw a guy exactly. under the bus for not working out or whatever happens. But in this day and age, if you say something like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Everybody's. I mean, no, it's unique for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we didn't, like we had said before, we didn't know that was going to be Urban Meyer and his personality right. on no. Zoom calls or whatever, but it's really been nice. Actually. Well, but I get questions from fans. How are players responding to this? Are they mad? To me, that didn't feel like what that was, and, and I don't think that will be taken that way in the locker room. But we're in such a vanilla media society right now where, you know, 
coaches are so scared to say anything mm-hmm. that when you are candid like that, it's a little unusual. So people take it as harsh or criticism. And I didn't see it that way. I don't think players see it that way. But there are people who interpret it that way because it's so unusual. And it's frankly, he just doesn't care what you think, which I think is a fabulous mm-hmm. thing. And I catch myself, especially at the end of last season when we would talk about DJ Chark, we we drifted towards talking about the quarterback more. So and, and look what he had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And look at all the quarterback changes. And, and how could he have succeeded with, look at this, what he had to deal with. And I think it was interesting that Urban Meyer never touched on that. He never even brought up the quarterback situation. It was all on DJ. Yeah, what what can you do to make yourself better? Mm-hmm. No, not things you can't control. Right, and right. That that was a really good point. All righty. Well, my big thing is the lack of a team facility always made the Jaguars not on the same level as the rest of the league. And I remember when we flew to Baltimore, like you mentioned a couple years ago, and I walked in that facility, it, it was night and day. It was not even close to the same level and you think to yourself how can an NFL team succeed when some teams have this and the Jaguars have that so finally the Jaguars are getting that facility and have an even playing field I frankly thought they never had a chance to succeed because they were never given the necessary tools and I thought it was interesting when Brandon Linder was asked about finally getting those tools and it was oh are are you privileged? Are you, do you feel honored that you're mm-hmm. getting this? He's like, no, I feel like I can do my job now. And that's a huge thing. Yeah. I think you can, you can win without the multi-million dollar facility. It, it, it's this team almost did it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I wouldn't say that you have to have the Baltimore and the Minnesota and, and I, and what's coming in Jacksonville, but, there's no reason in this day and age in the league not to. Mm-hmm. So I think now this is their moment to transition into that. It's like anything in this league. When the Jaguars started in in 95, unfortunately I'm old enough to have been there, this was state-of-the-art. Yes, I'm sure. This was... It's a brand-new stadium. Yeah, I mean, and they were number two or three in the league in total revenue because everything was set up. They had the best setup. They were the newest. That's how it works. Over the course of 27 years, they went from being the newest to one of the oldest because everybody else renovated. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? When they do this, when they build this in 2023, they'll be one of the four or five newest. Mm -hmm. In 25 years, they'll be one. I mean, it's a constant churn. It's a constant arms race. This is this team's moment and, and the city's moment to get back up into the arms race, so to speak. And the NFL is an expensive venture. At some point in the future, there'll be another time when you got to. There'll be other improvements we can't even imagine. I guess there'll be flying stadiums, or you know, it's a, but there'll be something that you've got to keep up with because it's it's the biggest, most popular, most expensive sport in the country to be involved with. Yeah, and, and it's always going to be Joneses. one op- one upping. I mean, you yep. look at the star in, in Dallas, for example, and yep. I'm sure in ten years we'll be like. Pah! The star, right? Look at them, Minnesota or Los Angeles. And I'm not sure that you'll have to go that route. I think that's the outlier that Mark was talking about in in the uh, presentation last week. I assume, yeah, there'll be outliers like that. But you know, Minnesota, Baltimore, those are standards that I think most teams will be up with. Uh, And it sounds like the Jaguars will be right there. The Minnesota one feels like it's closer to this setup than some of the others. Like Baltimore, they're out in a neighborhood in the suburb, right? And there's not much room for development. The Minnesota one is development around 
their facility. Yeah, and it's a whole town around their facility. Similar idea, I think, right. here. The facility comes, development around it, it spurs other things. You know, that was just a giant parcel of land out in the right. middle of nowhere that they have developed into something. But And that's a key to remember for shot. I, I, I interrupted you, JP, but uh, it, it, it uh, I get questions all the time. Do you think the Jaguar, and there were even some people asking last week, hey, is this going to be uh, – are they going to announce that they're going to rebuild the stadium in in St. John's, or are they going to build their facility in uh, Clay County? Um, I would have been stunned. I would be stunned if Shad ever considers doing anything with the Jaguars outside of of this square patch that we're sitting on, because his vision since day one has been to have a vibrant downtown and to have the Jaguars be the center of it. Whatever he does, he's going to try to develop it in this because he wants this to be a jewel in downtown Jacksonville, not a jewel outside of Jacksonville. No, we don't want that. All right, it's time for Did You Hear This? We mentioned it, so we'll breeze through it. John mentioned how candid Coach Meyer really can be, and DJ Chark had a tough season last year, not a secret to anyone. We all know that, and Coach Meyer knows he can play better. He didn't play well last year, and, and uh, obviously his first year he was very good. I just didn't like the his size, his strength. I didn't, you know, I just thought it was uh, way below average, way below what we expect from our receivers. And he was told that. And the best thing I love about DJ is he addressed it and hit it very hard. Gained seven pounds of muscle. He's playing a much more physical game. He's a big guy that played little last year, and that can't happen. You know, I had, you know guys like Mike Thomas and. Uh, Lewis Murphy are those big, strong, fast receivers, and he's got to play big and strong. And he can now because he is big and strong. So I just had, a, ironically, a good meeting with him as we walked off the field. We can't lose that strength and, and power gains that he made in the offseason. And uh, he's committed to do it this summer. So we touched on it. We we talked about And I think the, the biggest thing for me is I go back to when Coach Meyer talked about wanting Kadarius Tony in the draft. And that was the first time I was like, wow. That's honest. This was another moment when I was, wow, that's honest, but we appreciate it. Yeah, and again, it's so unusual that people are almost stunned by honesty because you're so used to sound bites. When Meyer says these things, and if you go back and listen to the DJ Chart quote, if you go back and listen to the Kadarius Tony quote, it's not criticism of the player. It's, it's not anger. It's simply, I get the idea that the conversation or the quote about DJ Chark was probably exactly what Urban said to DJ Chark in March. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure DJ went, yeah, you're right. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm going to go work on that. Like, so it's not like he's pounding the table and trying to make a point and grandstanding to the public about this. He's just saying the facts of here's what he's got to do to get better, and there's no reason why he can't, and I think he's going to be great once he does this. And I think uh, I like the, the fact that DJ – took the advice and ran with it. Mm-hmm. He's that kind of a player that will listen to somebody who's had a lot of success in building wide receivers. Right. And don't think that Urban doesn't want those kind of players. Absolutely. Yeah. The ones that will respond to And it. if, like we said a little bit earlier, if the player doesn't respond for some reason or is not responding as favorably to some of that criticism, we would never have heard about this. Right. So. 
and it's it, you know it tells you a lot about DJ as well. Yes, it, it does. does. Yeah. It absolutely does. And he stuck to his personality because we we were doing an interview with him a couple months ago, and he walked in the room and he goes, "You can call me Muscles now." I think he had gained about eight pounds at that point, yeah. and he was he was hyping himself up. So he's not subtle about this. That's for sure. All right, it is time for everyone ask. I will go first. Who is someone? you want to know more about and I gotta say mine is Roy Robertson Harris and I go back to those interviews and it was during free agency and he came in with his kids and his wife and it was almost like he was this teddy bear of a person like almost Calais-esque where he was the sweetest guy and we hadn't seen him on the field yet and I was like oh you know he's gonna be a really friendly nice guy and then I watched him on the practice field the other day and even filming him when he was walking to practice he just kind of mean mugs you and is focused and intense. And I was like, what happened? He does what? Mean mugs. Like, he walked by and just kind of stared. And I was like, ah. Mean mug? Mean yeah. mug. Like mean a, mug. Your okay. face. Okay. Mug, yeah, like, you're, you're scary. That's one of those young people things. That's not a young thing at all. You should, <laughs> that's a very years, common John. phrase. Never heard of the, Okay. So, yes, I'm trying to figure him out. And he totally kind of threw me through a loop. And this is a guy I want to know more about. Roy Robertson Harris. JP. I like that. Who's yours? Oh boy, this is a tough one. I, I um, and I, it's weird saying it, but we haven't had much conversation with a guy like Travis Etienne since the draft. Mm-hmm. Right? He hasn't, he hasn't talked much. We haven't been able to really dig into his deep background and kind of what drives him and, and keeps him going, and um, you know how it's going so far. You know, um, and what kind of role he envisions in this offense and all those things. So. Uh, a guy like ETN, I was going to say James Robinson, but I don't know if that you know if we don't know him by now. You know, I don't, maybe know. That's just I don't think you're going to get much more, and that's okay, <laughs> and nothing wrong with that. But so I'll, I'll go ETN, new guy. How's he fit? How's he feeling? We just don't know a lot about him yet. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I have a specific, but the reality is, you drafted 12 players last year. Not all of them are still here, but you know, probably what 11, 12 newcomers from last year on the team including James Robinson, and 15 or 16 more. And because of the Zoom nature of things, there's probably 25 or 30 guys that wouldn't mind getting to know more. You know, and that we know them from Zoom, and we know them from the occasional sit-down interview, but you don't know them in the way that maybe you knew Calais or you know, uh, Aaron Colvin was, he was, when he was here at Developed Relationship and talking to him in the locker room. There's something about that locker room atmosphere where you get a chance to just sort of get to know a guy beyond what he's saying in sound bites. I think we have a little bit there, but not quite as much as 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 you normally would. Um, I, you know, it's going to sound stupid, but I'd still like to get to know more about Trevor Lawrence beyond what we have seen publicly. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the day-to-day of training camp, talking afterward, how he handles the day-to-day quarterback thing. I guess we know, we'll probably know what we're going to know about his story off the field, but I'm looking forward to seeing how he functions in the day-to-day team environment, to know more about That's not really the answer I think Shalim was looking for, but that's, you know, getting to see how he does his job each day in the way that we always see the quarterback each quarterback has a different dynamic of how they handle things of how they handle 
difficult questions, of how they handle preparation. So I think that's as fascinating as anything to me about this season. There's, this this kind of goes into the, the bigger sport conversations going on right now about locker room access mm-hmm. and you know athletes speaking to media or having to speak with media after what that will look like this year in the NFL. I think they're still trying to figure out if locker rooms will be open mm-hmm. to media or not. Um, but for us, for me at least, I, it's a valuable piece of what we do because you do get to know some background or a mindset of a player without having him have to say it on a microphone. Yeah. You can you can verbalize it for them or you know give a synopsis or an idea of how a guy works, and that's important in our storytelling world and podcasts and everything to to know these guys a little bit better. Yeah, without that. getting too inside football and media relations, a lot of veterans will tell you it's valuable for players too. In this sense, I was talking to AJ Can last week for the Ozone podcast, and AJ's a guy, as you guys know, uh, sixth, seventh year veteran. When you're in the locker room with a player like AJ, and there's a mob around him talking about the offensive line, and you know, and there's certain things these players say on camera, and then once it sort of breaks up, you can talk to him after he said, "Hey, what was going on there?" And he can give you the background of look. I get that people are saying this, but this guy was injured. This is what's really going on. This is, you know, and, and he usually they don't call other teammates out. They're not, too, but they can give you a perspective on what's really going on, and so that helps players just as much as it does media for the real story to be out. To have a relationship with the media. It helps players more than I think fans might realize. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's our two cents. I don't know which direction that's going to go, but I think it's dangerous to not have some sort of interaction beyond a Zoom call with the local media covering the team and with players. Totally Urban always talks about building the player's brand, right? Oh, well, winning does that. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing he always says. But being in front of a camera and on microphones helps the brand as well if you, yeah. you know, nurture it the right way. It can really help a person uh, outside of the football realm as well. Totally agree. And there we have it. All right, JP, what does your everyone ask? James Robinson, Jaguars running back, had over 1,000 yards last year. You've heard of him. Yep. What's his rushing yardage total this season, Ashlyn? It is going to be between 700 and 800 yards. I think we all agree, and we heard Coach Marone say this actually last season, that James Robinson, frankly, carried the ball too often last year. He was still incredibly successful, but it was very predictable. And I think now with the additions of Carlos Hyde and Travis Etienne, he is not going to get as many carries. He's not going to have as many yards. Not to say that he won't be as successful but he carried the ball too much last season. And frankly, he's, he's now not going to have as many yards because of it. John? I, um, I agree conceptually. The number depends on if he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he plays 16 games, I think he goes over what Schlen's throwing out there. If, if he plays 16, I think in this day and age, if you play 16 as a rotational guy, but you're the main guy, and I think he'll be the main guy, uh, I think he can get 1,100-ish, you know, and if the offense is functioning, he should. I mean, if you're the main guy in the offense, uh, 1,100 would be a really, really good year. Uh, 1,000, 1,100 in that range is attainable. In this day and age, 
a back, I think, has to stay healthy to do that, and that's the real gauge. If he plays 13 games, you know, which is not unusual for a back because you take wear and tear, then eight nine hundred, I think, makes sense. So I would say in that range. I'm going to say 837 yards. Wow, all right. One dollar, Bob. Where'd you get from the 37? <laughs> I don't know. Just, just guess. All right, fair yeah. enough. This is sort of newsy. Very. Um, does Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans scare you, Schlin? Yeah. It scares me more than it did before he was traded. That's for sure. It doesn't. Because well, it hadn't happened. It doesn't help. Right. <laughs> it doesn't help my worries. Um, I do think it's a little overplayed. I think Julio Jones near the end of his career, still a very successful wide receiver, but it is a little overplayed. But the Titans as a whole, Derrick Henry scares me way more than Julio mm-hmm. Jones. I think he always will. But this certainly doesn't help the cause. Well, you got Julio Jones now. If he's healthy, that's one thing. You're going to see him once this year, the Falcons game, right? If he's yeah. available. Now you're going to see him twice if he's healthy. With A.J. Brown on the other side, mm-hmm. big monster, and another big monster in the backfield, and Henry with a quarterback who, with those weapons, can mm-hmm. perform very well. I don't know if he can do it on his own. But you throw another weapon out there, if he's healthy, he's still Julio Jones, and this is still a rebuilt secondary that hasn't proven a thing yet. Yeah, and uh, you guys have hit on it. If healthy, he's really, really scary. Mm-hmm. Right now, realistically, is this move going to be a home run for the Titans over three years? I don't think he's going to be a core player for them for three years. It would it would defy the course of his career the last couple of years if he plays 48 games and is an all-pro over the next three years. But on a game-to-game basis, he's the kind of guy who could be hurt for five, play 11, and be devastatingly good in those 11. So if if if... If two of those 11 or 12 are against the Jags, one of them might be 120-yard game, which he's very capable of putting up against mm-hmm. anybody. He's one of the few guys in the league who you can defend and game plan for, and he still beats you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it – I don't know that he's an all-pro player next year because of health and age, but in spurts and in key situations, he sure scares you. And in that offense, I think. Yeah. yeah. With how he could fit with what they do with the Derrick Henry. The pressure it takes off Derrick Henry, Come too. Come on now. That's, um, yeah. That opens up a whole side of things that we quite haven't seen yet, and we've seen enough of the Titans already. Oh, gosh. Thank you. No more. But there would be a school of thought that he may not be the best receiver on the team next year. Yeah. Because totally A.J. Fair. Brown's really good and really consistent. And historically for their career – Julio Jones, obviously the better player. Right now, A.J. Brown might be as good or better right now. So in terms of being available, you know, A.J. Brown played through a lot last year, still played at a high level. Uh, So, yeah, it scares you. Who do you put on Julio? Shaq? Shaq. Two guys? O'Neal? Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah, right. Is that big? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shaq and shade another guy. You have to. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the idea is. I don't like the idea of leaving AJ one on one either. So, right. I, I mean, that's. Nothing's yeah. ideal, that's yeah. for sure. I know it's June, but hey, we got to start thinking yeah. about these things um, at some yeah. point. It just shows you the development of CJ Henderson's a huge story for, uh, for this team. Because he, he, he's supposed to be, remember, number nine overall pick in the draft. Yep. Uh, we can say what we want about Shaquille Griffin. Even with Shaquille Griffin uh, on paper, supposed to be, CJ's supposed to be your number one lockdown guy. That's only four picks behind Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. 
according to draft equity and potential, he is supposed to be locked down all pro guy. You know, you take corners 23 to be starters. You take him number nine to be you are the man. So I don't know if he's there yet. He was there in week one last year, Mm -hmm. but uh, this team needs him to be. Yep. Another huge story that we will pay attention to, and that is our podcast. Jaguars reporters, like and subscribe to the Jaguars official podcast network and stay with us on Jaguars.com and Jaguars Drive Time, Jaguars Happy Hour this week for OTAs, and then we'll get you ready for mandatory minicamp next week. We'll see you then.